follow the vein and don't dilly dally on the way. Off went the vein with me own pack it and I walked behind with me old cock linnet. But I dillied and dallied, I dallied and dillied. I lost the vein and don't know where to go. Okay. Yes, Irene. Um, this song it says she's lost a man. That's right. Yes. Well, I know where to find a man. A man with a van. Well, I don't know if he have a van, but it'd definitely be a man. Cause my son, right? Mm. He told me about this thing on that internet thingy thingy. I've heard about the internet thingy thingy. You know the internet thingy, and sometimes you can look at it on your phone. Correct. And he told me that when you're looking for a remain, you can find one on there called the Grindings. Oh, Grinder, possibly? Yeah, the Grinder. Right. He said that you can find a man. You can certainly find a man on Grinder. So maybe the lady who first sang their song, which I remember from when I was little, mm. I remember their song, Maybe she could find a man using the grinders and grinders. Oh, she could find a man using grinder. It's a pity that technology wasn't around back in the day. Isn't it? You can't trust the specials like the old time coppers when you can't find your way home. Hello, 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 hello. With me in the studio, Sylvia Silversmith. Hello, everyone. And Marsha MacDonald. Yeah, what up, peeps? Dookie? Yes? I'm so excited. Tell me about it. I have such a girl crush. And this girl... I shouldn't say girl. I should say this amazing Amazon of talent has graced the Dookie Radio Studio with her presence. Pippa Evans. Dookie, she left behind her coffee cup, and I want to take it because it obviously has her DNA on it. Oh, are you thinking about cloning options? Yes, because I think the world needs more Pippa Evanses because she's so wonderful. So, Dookie, I'm just just a fangirl here. I think we're all big Pippa Evans fans Big on the fans. Dookie Radio show. Big fans. She's so fab that normally when I do a sound check when a guest comes in, yes. they're usually quite reserved because it's a weird thing to suddenly have a microphone in front of you, yes. even if you're a seasoned broadcaster. Yes. So usually I'll ask something along the lines of, oh, what did you have for breakfast today? In order to just sort out the levels. Pippa's so outgoing that we got stuck into a conversation straight away and I didn't even tell her that we were recording. So, in a way, this episode just starts with us having a chat about panel shows and women in comedy. 
because she's so fabulous. She's so fabulous that when I met her, because we saw her in Edinburgh, and when I when she came in the door, I kind of expected her to be like eight feet tall mm. because she's just got so much talent. Dookie, I, I wasn't here for the interview, and I'm really sorry I missed it because, yeah, you know, she's fabulous. I hear you had... A kind of a problem with your dog and the back end of your dog. Molly the Sprolly is normally a very well-behaved animal. She's a yeah. bit of a handful sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But when we're doing the interviews, she keeps herself to herself. This time round, however, she came up very close to the microphones and she left a little present. An air biscuit. Yes, she farted near myself and the lovely Pippa when we were mid-interview. You know what makes that even worse is because I can kind of relate to Pippa in that, you know, not really being into dogs all that much. I felt terrible. So then you got a dog around you who's not only acting like an asshole, they're like, you know, emitting a stench from their asshole. Mm. It ain't good. It left an impression. Yeah. And the outtake from it features at the very, very tail end of this oh, show. Literally. Dookie, I think it's terrible. I don't think anybody should ever emit anything bad smelling around somebody as lovely as our Pippa Evans. I think that people should just scatter rose petals in her pathway. No disagreement from me. As much as I love Molly the Sprawly, the Dookie Radio Show dog, mm. I'm a bit disappointed in her, I must say. I agree. I agree. I'm going to have Pippa cloned, Dookie. I'm off to do that now. I'll happily contribute to the to the cause. Well, it needs a healthy ovum. <laughs> really? Is that what you're saying that you're going to contribute? <laughs> 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 to quote Mark Maron, let's get on with the show. Women on panel shows. Pippa, is there a, a Masonic handshake that one has to do in order to get onto a panel show if you're female? I think there's a, f a fear of, of women failing. So they, if there's someone who does it really well, such as, I know, Catherine Ryan or Sarah Pascoe who are brilliant on those shows, people would rather book someone they know is going to be brilliant than someone that they have to take a chance on. And especially if they're only one space for a woman, which often there is, mm. um, then, then there's the fear of, well, I'm paying this much money and then this woman isn't good. Um, and you as a woman feel like you're representing all of women uh, and have that weight on your shoulders. Uh, I think there's just, yeah, just a, just a fear of allowing someone to have to be booked for three shows and be not very good in two of them because you've got to learn it. It's a, it's a skill to do a panel show. Indeed. And also you've got a group of people who are working together on a regular basis, possibly imbibing beforehand. And it must be a really scary prospect just to suddenly kind of be there as token woman. And... It's um, it's kind of throwing very very talented people with great potential to the lions, regardless of gender. Yeah, or even so. I uh, so I did. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, which I loved and had such a great time. And those guys, you know, they've been working together for 40 years. How intimidating is that? But they're they're so lovely, and obviously that's a very it's the anti-panel show. Um, but it still was frightening in a way, you know, nerve-wracking because you go, wow, I'm in this institution show. There's only one space for one guest, let alone a, a woman guest. Um, and, you know, they, they'd obviously, of their four guests, um, two two were women. So um, 
uh, but they but they were so welcoming. But there's still the fear of I, I don't want to interrupt them. I don't want to ruin their thing. Mm. So it's about getting over that. You know, and that's for any guest on a panel show. Uh, but I think if you have the added weight of, and I must also be funny as a woman, I think that can interfere. When will we reach a time where you, you just turn up and you can just be funny and then the as a woman part is redundant? Yeah, will I we ever get there? I don't know, because when I was at university, I did my <laughs> my dissertation, but it was about women in comedy. And I went on the then very new Chortle website and went on the... Um, forum right. said, hey, will anyone, so this must have been 2004 or three, uh, hey, um, does anyone want to talk about winning comedy? And got a torrent of abuse for like, when will people stop asking this question? Uh, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I found a book by Morena Banks uh, is it, and Amanda Swift called oh, The Joke's on Us. And it's about women in comedy. And uh, that was written in like the 80s. And so it's a question that has been around since the beginning of, of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it's a very cyclical thing. And as long as the media keeps reminding us that women aren't funny, uh, we can't stop talking about are women funny and for me I, I find that question just so ridiculous because in the same way there are some men who aren't funny there are uh, some women who aren't funny mm. and and there are definitely men on the circuit who shouldn't be on the circuit uh, by which you know everyone has a go at comedy but I think women get judged more harshly the torrent of abuse did this come just from the general public or from female comedians male comedians well, it was, it was the uh, it was the uh, forum on Chortle, so it was uh, whoever was on the forum at oh, that right. time so it would have been probably open circuit right um people but i mean i've got a couple of people who said oh, i'll happy talk to you about it if you want but a lot of it was like i'm bored of talking about it and then you know i get asked that whenever i get interviewed it's like what's it like being a woman in comedy we go well actually as a funny woman in comedy it's great <laughs> you know so so i am funny so it's fine but I think I think the idea that there's um, a very different approach. I don't know. It's just it's just difficult because I suppose it's such a male dominated industry that you can't help but stick out because you've got boobies. So. Mm. Damn those boobies. Yeah. Damn the viva la difference, but damn the boobies. Maybe <laughs> maybe we'll become more like each other, men and women, and these little differences will will cease to be. But is it? Do you think it's also that so? Because we are different, like men and women are different, just as we have different ideas and different uh, different wants and needs as humans. So as humans, we're all different. Mm. So uh, I think it's about getting rid of this idea of diversity being one male comic, one white comic, you know, one white comic, one black comic, one woman comic. Um and seeing diversity as our point of view. So yeah, yeah. so what you want on a bill isn't necessarily uh, one woman, one man, one uh, black woman, one Asian man, uh, and then a, and a Chinese host. You know, you want, what you want is uh, a host who does uh, one-liners, then mm. you want the opening act to be a, a sort of bright, um, positive act, and then the middle act's a musical act, and then the third act is, um, uh, I don't know, a character act, or so just so that the show is diverse uh, rather than... The faces are diverse. Yeah, positive discrimination where it turns into tokenism is just, it's really, really obvious. You, you see it a lot on television. Mm. You see it a lot on planet Earth in, you know, with businesses and yeah. everything. And it's a, it's a strange world that we live in. And with the recent election in the colonies, they made the decision based on gender rather than who was the best person for the job. Yeah. But, and that's sad. I really thought we'd moved on as a human race, but uh, maybe you need to revisit that dissertation and <laughs> yeah, extend yeah, yeah. it, not just the comedy, but to the world. Was your dissertation well received and what degree did you do? Oh, I did a degree in theatre and, and uh, sorry, drama and theatre arts, and I got a 2-1. 
which I mainly got through performance, not my dissertation, which I think my dissertation almost failed, actually, because because I got bored when I was writing it. Right. I actually got bored of asking the question because I went, and I, I think I ended by going, why don't we just all just decide whether someone's funny because they're funny or not? And I think that was the end. And they were like, this isn't a very intellectual argument. <laughs> but I was like, maybe it doesn't need to be an intellectual argument. Maybe we could just judge people on, did they make me laugh or did they not make me laugh? And uh and if there was even a way that we could um, watch a comedy show where you couldn't tell their gender by looking at them, like their voices were mashed as well. So so you could go, oh, let me judge this on the jokes rather than the form. You've yeah. heard of jukebox jury. This will be a comedy jury and people can just hear the material read by... The same voice that gives us Stephen Hawking, and it'll mm. just be decided. I mean, obviously, you then the nuance and delivery might be affected might be a little effect, bit yeah. with but that it, voice. So but it wouldn't be called the voice; it'd be called the joke. Yes, so have, and you'd have four chairs, panels, and they turn and be like Billy Connolly, and we can have Dead or Alive, Victoria Wood. Mm. Um, 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 uh, who's the Scottish angry man? Uh, Boyle. No. Frankie Boyle. Oh. Well, no, we could have Frankie. Let's have Frankie. Uh, and then Ninia Benjamin, because I bloody love her. She's amazing. <laughs> Put Ninia <laughs> Benjamin on the television, please. I think this needs to be commissioned. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. And I think it should be hosted by Hologram Malcolm and Wise. That's what I think. Oh, goodness. I mean, I, I just went to see the latest Star Wars and Peter Cushing, who's been dead for many, many years, is in it for a good 20 minutes. Wow. They got a sound alike and tremendous CGI. It was so convincing. I thought that they may have used old footage from you know back in the day, but this made me think that eventually we will not need actors. Yeah, we, well, we can have holograms delivering the goods for years. It's, as you saw in my Edinburgh show, same, same, but different. My <laughs> my fear of of not not getting to play the parts in all the shows that I'd love to play the parts because of who I am or what I look like. Uh, is to be replaced in the end by just a hologram of Judy Dench, and she plays all the parts of everything. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn that Judy Dench. Judy! Dame Judy Dench! You started very, very young in that you were once born and then invariably ended up doing a number of television shows in the early 90s with Finders, Keepers, Saturday <laughs> Disney. How did you end up doing those? Did you have showbiz parents? Or no, was this no. something you just wanted to do because of the desire for attention? Um, I mean, obviously a desire for attention has always been my lifeblood, but... Um, when I went, to, I went to school in Ealing in West London, mm. and we just the it's, it's quite near um, the BBC. So mm. I think the BBC just used to go, we need kids for things, and they'd come to our school. And it just happened that I was always a little bit loud. So, um, uh, so, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I did Finders Keepers with my brother. Actually, I think I did that when I was at high school. I was eleven, but um, we wrote into that. We just wanted, we loved that TV show and thought it was the best. So yeah, so we were on Finders Keepers, and then I was on Noel Lemon's house party. But so on the um, wait, wait till I get you home, where you had to say embarrassing stories about your parents. Right. Uh, so that and I've got that on VHS somewhere, and it is really really funny, just because my parents are so nineties. <laughs> like my dad's got these massive glasses, and I'm quite chubby. I don't, I don't know if you saw my blog post where Simon Fielder. Do you know Simon Fielder? He's a comedian. I do, yes. He's fabulous, and he just happened to be watching Challenge. TV and, and, and my episode of Finest Keepers was on and so he screen grabbed my face and was like is this you <laughs> I went oh my gosh and I found it uh, so it was, yeah so that was really funny to be outed by Simon Fielder um and uh, but I loved I loved I loved doing those TV shows Saturday I think that was one of the early episodes of Saturday Disney again they just needed a load of kids and we you got gunged and all that stuff mm. but I just really love 
doing I love creative stuff I just, I just really enjoyed performing and being on stage and being on camera uh yeah so I suppose it did feed a bit into that but mainly it was like you're a kid who as a kid doesn't want to be on their favorite tv show indeed but I suppose loads and loads of kids do but also loads and loads of kids might not necessarily have the appropriate talent okay yeah well, I mean, and I don't know if there was an appropriate, the only, probably maybe only the wait till I get you home was a talent to have no filter on saying stuff about my parents or knowing I'm going to tell this story, even though it's going to embarrass my parents because I know it will get a reaction. Mm. So. I suppose it was some kids you do have issues of stage fright and red light fever and things. Yeah. So having somebody in the Ealing area just down the road from... From the Beeb. Yeah. A dream come true. Well, I suppose, um, so I said I didn't have showbiz parents, but my parents did a lot of amateur dramatics. So oh, that's how so they it met. is in your blood. So it's in, it's it's in, in my... your DNA. Yeah. So I grew up singing old-time music hall songs as, like, normal... So- you know, so everyone else knew all the songs to Disney films. I knew all the songs to Disney films, plus all the old-time music hall songs. So, yeah, my mum used to sing us to sleep with... Um, she was a dear little dicky bird. Tweet, 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 she went sweetly. She sang to me till all my money was spent Then she went off song They parted on fighting terms She was one of the early birds And I was one of the worms Beautiful that was, That's what I was sung to sleep with oh, My goodness it, It's an idyllic upbringing Yeah Ealing, <laughs> those songs <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Were you smiling every single second of the day? Oh, every second. Never a miserable day. Ever. Indeed, never. 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 You, you mentioned it in your Edinburgh show. It's all over your website. The former fat kid issue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are also references to being bullied, both in your Edinburgh show that I saw last year, as well as through your character Loretta Main. It particularly is highlighted in the song Sarah Perkins. A lot of people ask me where my inspiration comes from, and I'd have to say most of it probably comes from trauma. Um, I was bullied a lot as a kid. Uh, I was bullied particularly by a girl called Sarah Perkins. Is she a real person or is that a nom de plume to protect the guilty? So because it's just a generic name for right. all the people who ever bullied me. But mm. I should put that caveat, you know, the caveat that I, I was bullied and I bullied people, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure right. I was mean. I was mean to, I could probably it's name three people. That I, well, not paying about that kind of old thing of if you're, you know, if you're bullied, it's a, you pass it on, don't you? You go and you find yeah. you find the person who's weak and you, you bully them until you realise, oh, maybe this is a horrible thing to do. But kids are really evil. Like, mm. kids have, you have to teach kids to not be evil like that's what parenting is is going going no no actually you have to like the fact you have to explain to a child that you have to share you know uh, is one of the Mm. hardest things so all these things that happen at school um not that i'm excusing my behavior and i feel bad for the things that i i did uh which were mean to other people but also um realize that that was just a reaction to be people being mean to me because i think if you do you know i did it wasn't idyllic but it was a very kind of like the world is your oyster childhood uh, and then you kind of meet people who go oh you're fat and you're ugly and you go oh you're supposed to tell me that i can achieve anything and that i'm i'm a princess or whatever so How dare you? exactly the sh- but i think it is it's like a real shock isn't it when you've been brought up and i'm sure it's true for most children is you, you know most people hopefully have parents that encourage them and tell them that they're, they're wonderful and then you have this first experience of someone going 
I don't like you. Mm. You think, oh, oh, but how can you not like me? I'm amazing. So uh, I think that's a very difficult thing. And again, I would bring that back to being a girl. And I don't know what it's like for being a young girl now, but I know that at that time it was like, you must be nice and you must have lots of friends. Like having lots of friends is important, almost so important that I had friends, like I was friends with some really nasty girls because and they treat, like, treated me quite badly because I was scared to not be friends with them, mm. if you know what I mean. So you end up like collecting these quite vicious people in your life. And again, it's what they call now toxic friendships, I think. Um, having the, the strength to say, actually, I think I'm probably better off without you as my friend. It's quite hard, isn't it? Because also you feed a bit off them being nasty to you. It's like abusive relationships. Oh, certainly. I suppose it also, in a way, if you have creative desires, you and if you've been brought up in... In Ealing, enjoying the Ealing feeling. I suppose you, you kind of want to have reason to say and feel and be justified to give a loud, you know, I've had pain and I'm going mm. to turn this pain into my art. Yes, yes. Or did, did you experience that well, or was it just merely kind of a wall that... I think that's something Carrie Fisher said, didn't she? Turn pain into art. Oh, did you? Uh, oh. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, uh, did you have, perhaps even subconsciously, did you have a desire for that? No, I don't think so. I don't think, well, maybe when I was, a, well, as a teenage girl uh, in my girls' school, there was definitely a, everyone must suffer and everyone was like trying to suffer more than everyone else, like, which is in a very privileged private girls' school. It's mm. quite hard to actually suffer. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, my parents are Oh, bad it hard, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bad it hard. Uh, so, you know, people would be like, oh my God, I only got 92% in that exam. Oh my God, I'm crying. <laughs> and then you go, I remember once having this conversation with girls saying, who said that? I only had, I only got 92% in this maths exam. And I went, oh, well, I only got 73 or something. She went, but that's really good for you. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> but yeah, so, so there, there is something about us that likes drama. We love drama, you know. Or if you're a dramatic person, let's say us, as in people. There's maybe it's fifty-fifty. Some people love drama. Some people just step away, almost so far away that they don't won't in, involve in that at all. Uh, but people, yeah, people love. I love drama. I like. I loved. I loved being like, oh, I'm so ill. Or my, I had a terrible boyfriend. I think I talked about him mm. on my show as well. With the great hair. Oh, he was so pretty, mm. but he was horrible. And uh, and um, <laughs> my mum said to me, how did my mum put it? She said, um, you were, you were f- uh, very loyal. You were very loyal to him, uh, which I thought was a really weird way of saying, you stayed with him for far too long. Uh, but, he, uh, but he was just like, oh, but again, it was like, enjoying going oh he's been so mean to me again and then all the girls were like you gotta get rid of him and be like no but i can't because i love him whereas really they should have been like get rid of him he's awful yeah he's horrible and my and one friend who did say that all the time my, my good friend annalisa dunn i'm gonna name check her uh she's amazing but she was like uh, yeah she was just like you gotta get rid of him she's got and i could but i couldn't hear it i couldn't hear it because because it's that fear of like well if the drama's gone am i still alive couldn't have been defined by your drama. You were getting attention for having exactly. this toxic relationship. If he was not so aesthetically pleasing, would you have hung around as long as you did? Well, I don't know. Because I think, well, I think that, I think part of that was, I mean, this is turning a bit more into like Mary Povich or something, or Jeremy Kyle, isn't it? This, <laughs> it so because, because, but the, uh, <laughs> but I think probably because I think half of my insecurity was being the fat kid and then sort of becoming not ugly anymore 
but not really a, 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 a appreciating that means that you're with someone who you think is far too good looking to be with you. When I look back at it, I think he was very pretty, but we didn't look weird together. Uh, and so, so I th- but I think it was like, I can't get rid of him because if I, he's like my, I'm valuable because pretty boys want to go out with me. You know? mm. uh, and I think that's, and again, I think I see that quite a lot. Uh, and Pippa, and what, I'm pleased to report what? that backstage, what? he's here. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Let's kiss and make up. All is forgiven. Have you stalked him? Uh, well, I don't have his friends with my brother. So. Oh, goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I know everything about it. Oh, so he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and also, it's in... like, I can only talk about it because I totally, I, you know, and again, my show sort of makes it, like, my show, he's about 1% of my show, but but um, I talk about him, but, but only in relation, you know, to how I felt. But I'm sure I was, again, I was really insecure. I was a bit nuts as well. So he probably thinks I had this terrible girlfriend because I was so needy and and would weep all the time and would be like, you, you're so mean to me, but I wouldn't go away. So so I was always like chasing after him, you know, so like a, like a little puppy on a string. So so whilst I'm, I'm not excusing his behaviour, I know I was no, I wasn't like this little angel girlfriend that mm. he, you know, so, so it's, and it's that difficult thing. It's your first relationship. You don't know the rules of relationships. Um, and so in many ways, I'm really grateful because I literally never went out with anyone as awful as him ever again. He I really set learned the from benchmark. Him. He really did, actually. So, <laughs> so uh, although it was horrible at the time, I think I, need, I needed it. I think, I think maybe I needed it. Oh, fair enough. It takes two and you were one of the two. I was one of the two. <laughs> you were one of yeah. the two. Character comedy. For a number of years, you performed under the name and the character Loretta Maine. Where did that character come from? And had you ever performed as a, a front person, singer, songwriter, as Pippa Evans ever? Did you front a band ever? So I always knew I wanted to do stand-up comedy. Like, I knew that. I always knew that. And then um, I got scared of that knowledge. Um, so and when I was 18, so I finished school, and I had a gap year where I did a stand-up comedy course and did stand-up comedy. Uh, so that was 2000. And uh, and I did a stand-up comedy course here in the city at the City Lit in London. And then I did one in New York. I went to New York for... And one of the things I wanted to do was live in New York. So I went and lived in New York for two months and I did a stand-up comedy nice. course and I did a gig in New York and that was like the coolest thing mm. in the world. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so I did that. And I did about 25, 30 gigs. And I just sort of had this realisation at 18 that I just didn't have anything to say. And I had no real life experience and I, I didn't want to be on stage just going you know when you get your A-level results uh, <laughs> it was like not really relatable to uh, and I think uh, yeah so I, I don't uh, so anyway so I stopped doing that and I started doing a bit of acting and went to university and at university I ran a open mic night called Bumped It Birmingham University Music um, Theatre Improv something or other I don't know what it was but it was we, we inherited it and it was mm. called Bumped It for obvious reasons mm. um, and I, me and my friend Joe ran that together and we would sing um, sing songs together and be quite folky and she was really good at harmonies as well so it sounded very pretty uh, I wrote, and I wrote my first comedy song which was about Dr. Carl Kennedy um, which I think went uh, oh, how did the chorus go? Um, as long as doctor's appointments are free, Dr. Carl is the GP for me. <laughs> that was my chorus. And I loved that song. Uh, anyway, and uh, and then I was like, oh, I quite like this. Anyway, I left university, tried to do a bit of acting, found straight acting really boring, um, by which I mean just that. Obviously, you just start doing quite bad jobs. I did a terrible 
a play, a musical in um, Edinburgh called The Sawdust Circle. And I can say it's terrible because the, the lovely lady who wrote it also once messaged me on Facebook to say, I'd just like to apologise about that musical that <laughs> that you were I'm in that I wrote. So and sorry. I, I wrote it over two weeks and she was, she'd written at university, you know, so it was like a fair fair enough, terrible first thing that you write. Um, and uh, But it was it was a really great experience and the people in it, I'm still friends with some of the people in it, uh, but it was terrible, so terrible. We, uh, the first line was, I was playing a fifth-year-old Polish housewife of uh, of the circus man and the circus was failing and the first line was only 10 people in tonight and we often had only four or five so uh, <laughs> oh, nice. so like the circus is doing better than this show <laughs> uh, and anyway so it was and I was running down the road and I'm um, doing some flyering or something and bumped into this guy called Lloyd Stevens and he was uh, flyering for his improv show and he said oh come and I'd met him at something before and he said oh come and watch my show to cheer yourself up and I just was like this is what I want to be doing because I'd watch Whose Line Is Anyway and I was like I love character comedy mm. um, but uh, sorry um, improvised comedy um, but at the same time I knew that I also wanted to be on stage as myself so I went and did another stand-up comedy course to try and just get myself back into that again at the City Lat, lit, lit, City Lat, City Lit and uh, and, in, and in that I sort of did some singing stuff um, and so I started performing as myself on the circuit again so it was me Pippa Evans and I would do jokes and sing and then I can't remember how Loretta oh so me and Luke Tol- I used to work a lot with Luke Tolson and uh, he encouraged me to do character comedy and he said one day we had a gig. It was me, him and Holly Walsh. And then Holly um, dropped out. She couldn't do the gig anymore. So we had to fill 20 minutes. And he said, well, right, let's think about what we're good at. We're good at. And I said, well, I'm good at writing songs and you're good at being sarcastic. <laughs> and he was like, OK. So uh, so he interviewed me as Loretta Main. We're like, just made that name out, Loretta Main. I don't know where it came from. Um, and originally she was a co-way. Um, oh. But... But so yeah, so everything was like. But but the problem with the cable voice is it sounds quite nice actually. Mm. Like you sound quite friendly. Mm. Um. So so I started as her, and then realised that just didn't really work. Um. And so I did a gig, and that kind of went okay that gig. But one of the songs isn't love a funny thing. I think I wrote for that, which is one of the first Loretta Main songs, which is flips between. So that the joke is, um, this song was originally called cocksucking motherfucker but my agent said I was alienating my audience so <laughs> I renamed it isn't love a funny thing <laughs> um yeah so and that flips between chat so um so anyway so I tried it in an American accent at a gig called Tom Bell and the Space Cadets I think it was called we used to do up in Stoke Newington and uh and there was a guy there called Lloyd I only worked with people called Lloyd um it was a solid name yeah I can't remember Lloyd's last name um and he was so scared because he thought I was real. He thought I was a real American singer who had massive emotional issues and didn't speak to me because he didn't want to talk to so, so then, And then when he realised it was a character, he was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't talk to you. Oh. Uh, yeah. So that's when Loretta was born. And then it just really worked. Like it was just, and it felt exciting and stuff. So from then it just it developed and developed. So in 2008, I did the Hackney Empire New Actor of the Year competition mm. and I absolutely loved, like loved had a great time and, and I love the Hackney Empire. It's such an amazing space. And I think because of my music hall background, it was like, I've come home. Absolutely, you've arrived. Yeah, and I just really enjoyed filling that space. And then Hannah Chambers, who's now my agent, sort of saw me and, and she was like, I, you know, I like, I think that's a great act. And then when I signed with Hannah eventually, so in 2008, I got nominated for the Best Newcomer. At the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, and, so, and then I, I signed with Hannah Chambers and then we sort of pushed the live stuff. And Loretta's just the thing that wor- really worked in a live setting. Mm. And I just got loads of bookings from that. So that's where it, and she just developed on the circuit and became more and more real to the point that everyone, whenever I perform her, pretty much believes 
that I'm her. It, completely and utterly convincing. And I saw some footage of you performing in Australia. Oh, yeah. And for all intents and purposes, everyone viewing that would assume, my goodness, this strange hybrid of Courtney Love and Alanis Morissette meets something slightly country-tinged and with loads and loads of whiskey down uh, has just arrived here down under. And did you keep the character backstage and in interviews? Did you live as Loretta Main or did Pippa Evans suddenly arrive whenever you had to do promotion for the, the shows? Well, do you know what? One year in Edinburgh, um, the PR lady was like, yeah, you should definitely do all your interviews in character. And I was like, yeah, cool, that's fine. But what she meant was turn up as Loretta Main and act like her the whole time and then leave. So but oh. I hate that. Like, I think the joke is that you and I are in as mm. interviewer that I'm playing the character. And... Um, and so, uh, but so she would be like, you have to talk to her like she's, you have, when she comes in the room, you have to treat her like Loretta Main, like I'm some fucking diva. And so, <laughs> so I walked into the room and there was some guy from the stage who I'd met a few times before and he was, he went, oh, hi Loretta. And I was like, hi, 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 Steve. Hi, hi, how are you? What's so are you all, are you all, how's it? I don't even know how to talk to you actually because like I'm so polite and nice and kind and Loretta Main's like a fucking bitch. So uh, one of my favourite interviews I ever did was so the the big bugbear of most comedians at Edinburgh is doing anything to do with three weeks because we need them. It's like the most abusive relationship ever. We love them because we need them because they're there Mm. and they give us reviews but a lot of their journalists are very young students who Mm. don't know what they're doing. Um, And so... They go, oh, we'd love you to come and do our podcast. Or, and you go, okay, cool, I'll come. And I turn up and they'll go, so, sorry, who, sorry, who are you? And, and what's your show? And you go, wow, you haven't even Googled me. That, that's, it's like the, in this day and age, it's so easy five minutes before to get your phone out, Google the person and go, mm. and go okay, Loretta Main, the show's called this. It's at this time. She's an American singer-songwriter. And that's all the information you need. Mm. Um, uh and so, and he was really young, uh, and he said, "He's like, so, so sorry. Who are you, and what's what do you do?" And I, and I, I just saw, saw red and went, "Just turn the machine on, and you'll see who I am." <laughs> he was like, "Okay." Turn on the fucking machine. So he turned the machine on, and I did just go, "Oh, hey, what's up? Yeah, okay. So, wow, you look so, you're so sweet. What? Tell me about you." And so he was trying to interview me about my show, and I was just trying, coming onto him really strong, and then telling him really terrible, like, "But the thing is, no one ever loved me." And, and I just sometimes feel like the world doesn't appreciate me. <laughs> and just seeing this kid being like, I don't know what to do. And that felt that felt like a really fun way to play with the character in an interview rather than like I'm some kind of method actor, which I'm just not. Like for me, the joke is this is a character. Mm. Or, or is the joke, is this a character? When you were publicising the show, did you ever have your name you know, in small print next to it? Or was it always, you know, right in your face, Loretta Main, full stop? Had you been, been advised in order to uh, to spread the brand of, of Pippa Evans, to actually put your name next to it so that people would know that it's it's character comedy? Um, well, I mean, in terms of, like, that sort of brand stuff, I'm really bad at any of that branding stuff because I, cause I really do just love performing. So I will, mm. that will always be my second thought would be, oh, I should have brought some some CDs or, or I should have brought my card or merch. You know, like, yeah merch and my badge and, and I know those things are important but it's just never my first thought which is <laughs> probably 
probably not a good thing. Um, but so so I, I didn't really think about it like that. But we decided, as in with my management, that we shouldn't put my name on things because it's confusing. So in fact, when I did Melbourne Comedy Festival, one of the most confusing thing is that at the comedy at the Melbourne Comedy Festival is they put in brackets where people are from. So as in who where you're from. So said Loretta Main brackets UK, mm. but obviously I'm American character. So so that was quite a weird. But um, America an American character who lives in London. Yeah, to be yeah, fair. sure, sure, sure. But it's, sure, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's just that. But it was funny because I'd never even thought of that. I was like, well, actually, it should say USA. Mm. It should really say USA, but it's not because it's me. But anyway, so yeah, so so I didn't often put my name next to it because again, that was the joke. So sometimes I would get compares to say that was Loretta Main, aka Pippa Evans, but actually it was better to leave it. Like once I was I was doing Bath Comedia and the. Uh, which I love, such a, such a lovely venue. And they, um, and I've done Loretta and then I came out and this lady ran up to me and was like, I just want to say that everything you said, I totally understand. And I've never found a man who loved me. And it's just like so hard, but we've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. <laughs> and I said, a kindred spirit. And I said, oh yeah, that's, um, well, you know, yeah, keep going. You know, you're going to find them one day. And, um, my husband's just waiting in the car to take me home. <laughs> and she went, you're not real, are you? You're not real. And I went, oh, no. no, no, it's oh. a ca- it's a character, but no, it's based in truth. But yeah, so so that just to see that disappointment in her face. And I know that Marcel, you know, uh, Alexis Dubas has the same thing with Marcel, where people just believe, well, we've both had reviews uh, where people have judged us as real people. So mm. I had this review in, I think it's called a younger theatre, where this, um, where I was headlining a amused moose night, and um, and, it, and it's, I think it says something like, with the final act, uh, I don't know what to say. Um, it could, we couldn't tell if we were laughing with her or um, at her. Um, she clearly had had too much to drink uh, and was overwhelmed already by the festival. Uh, and um, you know, basically, she needs to sort her life out. You go, no, you fool. <laughs> what an amazing study of depressed, angry American singer-songwriters. It's a dodgy import who needs to go to rehab. Hi, um, I'm from the US, um, but I live in the UK now because they said I should go somewhere with tighter gun control. Um, <laughs> and I'm really enjoying meeting uh, British people, and I'd like to dedicate this song to um, all the British men that I've loved and lost <laughs> since I arrived here <laughs> on Friday. You mentioned one of the earlier performances of Loretta Main being in Deepest N16 Stoke Newington. At that stage, had you already adopted the Courtney Love look? I can't, I can't remember, but I think so. I think I had my eyeliner all over my face. And mm. Yeah, I think so. I think that was pretty much from the beginning. Because um, I just... Uh, I really enjoy, <laughs> in a sadistic way... Because now you're often sober, obviously, in town centres as a comedian at one o'clock in the morning because you come, you finish your gig and then you go out and you uh, go out to go home. So you'll be in Leicester Square at 12 o'clock um, sober while everyone is drunk around you. Mm-hmm. And I love watching couples having emotional arguments at that time. There's something fantastic about it. And I, and I love that <laughs> distressed female irrational look of uh, everything uh, everything is blown out of proportion uh, so that's what that's based on that's based on Leicester Square at uh, 12 o'clock at night Did you ever have uh, Americans in the audience who uh, bonded with you and want- met up with you afterwards you know asking uh, where you were from and feeling that you were a kindred spirit you, you mentioned uh, a-, a-, a young British person who felt your pain but any Yanks who uh, 
Thought my, you were one of them. My most amazing story for me is I did a gig at the comedy pub in Leicester Square, and um, it was it was quite a weak line lineup, and I, and um, and uh, so I and I went on and uh, smashed it out of the park, and uh, and then uh, this lady came up to me. She went, "Thank God for you. You showed them who the real comedians are. Yeah, you showed them that the Brits just don't have it." <laughs> and yes. I and I went well. I, I thank you very much. Uh, I should point out that I am actually English. Uh, so, uh, and she went, oh, right. Yeah. Well, I won't be telling my friends that. Oh, isn't that amazing? So she, but it was so horrible as well. It was so it's like so everyone else just had a bit of a bad gig, whatever was going on there. But uh, but yeah, just that kind of conspiracy thing I've had women come up to me on the tube this woman came up to me on the tube and they were obviously just from the gig I'd just done and she like came up to me and she went excuse me can you sell an argument for us because uh, I say that you are American and my friend says you're not and I was like uh yeah I'm not and she was like oh shit <laughs> so people yeah I've had people have bets on it um yeah, so which is a real compliment to me. Absolutely, it's really great. But yeah. I think I think it's just because I watched so much American television when I was growing up. Like mm. I, I loved Saved by the Bell and California Dreaming, and I just love him. I love America. I love America, mm. which is why I'm so upset about Trump because I think he's going to ruin it. Oh, oh, like I would love to just become American so I can make sure that he doesn't get in for another term. Oh yeah. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you. In your 2016 Edinburgh show, Same, Same But Different, you mentioned coming across a number of elderly fans in New York who claim that dead relations of theirs would have loved you. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got family out there by any chance? My parents doing Amdram, we're in a group called the Phil Beach Society, and they... Um, partnered up with the um, VLOG, which is a village light opera group. And they did a thing called BALO, the British American Light Opera Exchange. So they knew a lot of people in New York through um, Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, right. um, so so we, I've got lots of sort of parent age friends out there who uh, who I know and uh, and who like follow what I'm up to and I'm really supportive. So we just went out there with Showstopper, which is the improvised musical I do Um uh, in May and some of them came to see it and that was so nice because obviously I saw them on stage as a kid and then and then they got to see that I'm actually doing something rather than it's a, a real difference isn't it when someone says I'm a performer and you go what does that, what does that mean <laughs> is she mm, doing okay mm. and you go, yeah well I think if, if your improvised musical is being paid to go out to New York to do some shows then she's probably doing okay proof is in the pudding yeah uh Oh, it's, that's goodness! What a an absolutely kind of lovely family link to have, and also multi generational as well. Mm. I think it's really important to spend time with people who are from all different mm. uh, age brackets, and you know, I love hanging out with kids and old people and people my own age, and just having those different perspectives is so useful. I mean, one of the people I remember that that first experience as a teenager, or maybe even a young kid, where someone points out a different point of view to you mm. uh, is so powerful so like the first time someone says you might be wrong um as in i said my mum's friend freda kaufman and she's a proper old new yorker and she uh she i said something 
uppity when I was 14 or 15 to her I said well the thing is like I'll be I'm going to be an actress but I'm going to be a theatre actress because like that's real acting that's like actual that's where you have to have talent I mean you don't have to have talent to do films and she said really you don't think it's a talent to be able to film uh, the same scene over and over you don't think it's a talent to be able to access emotion like that you don't think it's a talent to have to start at the end and then maybe do the middle and then maybe do the beginning at the end you don't think that's a talent you don't think there's any talent involved in making a film and I went, oh, well, oh, well maybe, maybe there's some talent there. Yeah, so that, again, that appreciation of, you know, A, you don't know shit, you're a 15-year-old. Yeah. Uh, and, but also a she reminder. Told you. It's funny when you're 15, you think you do know everything and you're very sure about stuff. And so, and I really think you then spend about 20 years getting back to that 15-year-old confidence, but with a knowledge base behind it. That's life. Yeah. Indeed, that's yeah. the progression of life. Yeah. My goodness, she really did put you in your place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you resolve that? Were you just silent for the rest of the day or did, did you oh, think, change the subject very I rapidly? I don't really remember. I think I just went, oh, uh, yeah, okay, okay. okay. Because, right. because I just had never thought of it from a different point of view, you know, that, that sort of, like I say, you know, opinions without any backing to that opinion. Uh, which I think now is why I'm quite not careful about giving my opinion, but make sure I'm I'm sure of what my opinion is mm. before I'll make a big statement about something because I really do like listening to lots of different opinions and then going, hmm, like I'm quite confident saying I do not like Trump. And if you want, we can talk about why I don't like him. Mm. Not now, because it's not what this podcast is for. No, no, no. But no. because I've read about it and looked at it and gone, yeah, I do not. But, and that, and, but that's a very kind of easy discussion to have, whereas so many things that we need to talk about we have to have you have to think about it a lot before before you make a statement or be willing to change your opinion while you're having a conversation so mm. i think it's also having an opinion but be willing to modify it which is funny because comedy stand up comedy particularly you so have to go in there with an opinion like with uh, an opinion on stuff even if that's opinion on a thing like i i hate cheese toasty makers you know whatever it is it has to be a strong opinion you can't kind of go on stage and go oh well cheese toasty makers they're all right aren't they i mean Look, they do some good stuff. Uh, some bad great, stuff. Yeah, great, aren't yeah, they? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. yeah, you have to have you have to have opinions about things and be happy and but we be willing to have that dialogue with the audience when they go, I fucking hate cheese toasty makers uh, and you are like, Do you say that about my cheese toasty makers? And it's so much easier actually to have those interactions with um hecklers or joiner inners, depending which one they are. I think hecklers are uh, the people that shout your shit, and I think joiner inners are people that are so passionate about what you're saying. They want to get in the dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I really enjoy those dialogues if they're if they're interesting. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I've had some really funny interactions with uh, joiner inners because because uh, they just that just adds. I remember once one of my favourite things. I was singing a, a Loretta song. It was an endless Loretta. And there's like a big gap in their last just before the last line for the last joke, uh, and in that gap, someone just went. I think you're beautiful. <laughs> and it was so weird and funny. I was like, well, I think we'll end that song there. Uh, yeah, so, so it was great. <laughs> I think the, the coda can end prematurely with that lovely revelation. Pippa, you've got an amazing singing voice. You can do every dialect under the sun or the grey skies. You can write. You can improvise. Is there anything that you can't do? I can't dance. I mean, I, I could if I took the time to learn it, but and it really annoys me that I can't dance because I would love to do 
a big tap dance routine. That was the thing that was missing from that show was a massive tap dance. But you can probably do a course on it soon and you're going to have that sorted. Yeah, or, so that's, that's this year. Oh, I, right. I have tried to learn tap dance. No, I can't. I can't. Yeah, it's one of those things. I would love to be an amazing dancer, but I'm also five foot ten and I'm no Darcy Bustle. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, so just like having the agility to do that. But I, I'm sure if I went on, uh, what's that BBC show? Strictly come be a celebrity dance with me mm. thing. Um then I'm sure I could learn it. But but uh, yeah, that's the only thing that I feel is missing uh, is a top hat, a cane and a dance routine. You nearly it's almost you there. could have pulled it off. Put it in. Um, what was the anatomy of a typical Edinburgh fringe day for you? I generally got up, went for a swim, did a vocal warm up because I always lose my voice in Edinburgh. It doesn't matter how good I am, how healthy I am. I just lose it because... I don't know why. I don't know what happens. But I think it's just over you. Suddenly you're using it three times a day because I do it, you know, you have to do the extra shows to promote it and obviously doing Showstopper as well. Uh, of course. So, uh, so uh, just sort of having to look after myself in that kind of way. And then, yeah, and then just go to Bannerman's and, and uh, do it. I would always run through my show once before every show, by which I mean just speed run the words because my memory is horrific. I can't remember anything, which I blame improvisation for because my brain is so used to re- throwing away information. So, you know, can't remember every show every day. I think my brain's gone, we don't need that anymore. And I'm like, no, that's the one show we have to remember, okay, kids? So, yeah, so every day I would run through it and I would forget things all the way through the fringe. Like, I would just forget lines and bits and I'd be like why was the show 50 minutes short today and Shani would be like because you missed out a whole song <laughs> be like all oh, right okay uh yeah so so yeah and then and then I do that show and then I would go straight to uh the Pleasance Grand and do Showstopper and then usually I try and see a show or go home and go to bed my goodness I mean and you must have slept very well because it would be, that's a very busy schedule and that your show in particular that, that I saw I mean it's you gave your all and, and then some. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really... Superhuman. I like doing a show... Like, so one of my favourite performers is Brian Connolly. Uh, and uh, and so there's a lot of Brian in that show, I think, in terms of... It's about being an entertainer. So when people ask me what I do, I generally say I'm an entertainer, which is just a terrible word, but I'm trying to reclaim it. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, and I think it's about entertaining the room rather than so. And I think that's the difference between a stand-up comic and an entertainer is a stand-up comic. I mean, Sarah Pascoe had this conversation on a tube once. We were going, I was going, what is the diff- Like, what is the difference about? Because I don't feel like a stand-up comedian. I feel like an entertainer. Mm. Uh, and and uh, we're saying, well, I suppose um, an entertainer gets on the coach and and goes, all right, everyone, where do you want to go? Let's go there. Come on, who's at the back? What's going on over there? Okay, here we go. Everybody along. And the stand-up comedian stands outside the coach and goes, I'm going on that coach. You can come with me if you want. That's it in, in a nutshell. That's the very definition of, of entertainer versus comedian. Ultimately, I had no idea what to expect from your Edinburgh show. The blurb that advertised it in the Edinburgh Guide was a bit ambiguous. And the photo that accompanied the blurb was a little bit quirky a beautiful photo in which you had quavers in your hair. So I thought there'd be a lot more food-related comedy. I really thought mm. it was going to be quavers. Well, Aren't yeah, they was, great? Uh, and I'm sorry and to no, belittle no, that. No, but it's true because lady, uh, two ladies uh, at the end of one show complained. They were like, where was the, why would... Where were the quavers? I, th- I thought you were going to have quavers in your hair and it was going to be a whole thing about quavers. You know, no, it's just a funny picture. It's like, same, same, but different. Like, look, I look pretty, but I have quavers in my hair. Like, it's just... Uh, yeah, there's nothing. It was just funny. We just had a packet of quavers and thought it'd be funny. How long of a gestation did it take to actually put that show together? 
Well, I think that's probably why the photo is ambiguous as well. Is is because you just uh, I like working right up to the knuckles, so I, right, I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, I don't want the show to be finished in in May. Uh, I want. I would like to have a framework by May, but then everything else needs to be able to change, mm. and every day it should be able to change a little bit. Which, luckily, with my memory loss, uh, <laughs> that's going to happen. Um, which is why I always in- involve the audience, like you said, that everyone feels like everyone could get talked to, and I, and I think that's true. But I like to do that, and again, in a joining in way rather than a "Hey, you, that's a stupid hat. You look mm. like an idiot." Like it's more like, "Oh, I'm I'm excited by you." Like I genuinely like people. Like I find people really fascinating. I love talking to people, uh, and. Uh, and I am my show last year was called the year before sorry was called there are no guilty pleasures and that was to try and encourage people to share like the things that actually we're ashamed of which should be the things we're most proud of Mm -hmm. Uh, and just like getting people to share so there was this great moment where someone went so at the end I just go I just want you to shout out your guilty pleasure anyone and I'm just going to leave some space here and anyone can shout out and eventually someone will be like Rod Stewart um um and then this woman just went, I love watching videos on YouTube of people squeezing their spots. <laughs> and then this other woman went, me too. <laughs> and it was such a great moment, you know. Uh, yeah. So which is why I always make up a song as well, because I always want there to be a, something that uh, this audience knows that this show will never be the same. Like they won't, they won't, this exact show will never happen again. Mm. So it's not like a play where, you know. A special moment yeah. just for that audience. Yeah, yeah. You're all in the zone together. Yeah. It's like even I would love to get to a point where I could drop so I have an hour show, but I could drop sections because someone's interesting and we can go down somewhere with that, which is not intimidating. It's like, no, we need to, we as a room have decided because you can feel the energy in the room. Like, I love that. I love that you can feel the room and go, oh, this is an audience that don't want to be talked to, um, which was, uh, there's a comedian in um, Australia and I can't remember her name, but she's really lovely and she did a show where she asked the audience a lot of stuff but she had a show and I thought that was really great so when I went to see it it wasn't a very talky audience Mm. and so she'd say something she'd sort of go so does anyone I don't know like fish and then no one was saying anything she'd go okay and then she'd just do her fish material you know but I could imagine that if someone said I love eating cod then they would talk about the cod industry or something for and you know find the humor in that and I think that's really for me that's exciting it becomes a new junction to be able to improvise and to, to yeah. riff off of. How long did it take to write your show? Probably six months. Right. But not, you know, that's six months of writing and doing. I mean, I do so many different things that, again, I'm never going to spend a whole week writing one show. Which Pippa do you like? Yeah, obviously. And also, you presumably, actually fairly soon, for this year's Edinburgh Fringe, you're going to have to give them a title and the photo and a yeah. blurb. Well, so um, so I do a show, a regular monthly show called Sunday Superlarks, where, uh, which is kind of loosely based on this idea of bits and, and then I have guests and, and audience interaction and stuff and trying to figure out what that is. So, so there's, that's kind of also a way of preparing material for Edinburgh. But um, the show this year is going to be called Joy Provision. <laughs> Joy Provision. Nice. Yeah. And because uh, and, I, I think my brand of, of um, show is called Inspertainment because I like people, people say they leave feeling like, yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna be okay. Today's gonna be okay. You know, yeah. oh, the world's an all right place, and that's kind of what what I like doing is is kind of reminding everyone that there's all this crap happening in the world, but we are essentially all the same. Like we mm. we all have the same worries. Everyone just wants to have a good night's sleep, eat a meal, be looked after, be loved. You know, but we're not that different. No, I've got a question about uh, drunken history. How did you go about absolutely meticulously and 
perfectly lip syncing, you know, miming to the drunken ramblings of the lovely Ramesh. It, it is <laughs> it is absolutely perfect, and your performance is amazing. He's great. How many takes did you have to do that? And is it something that gets just repeated over and over again so you can get every nuance? Uh, yeah, yeah. They just play it and you mime it. So they send you the recording. So you practice it. Oh, so you, able you practice to... it over and over and over right. again and learn what they're saying. Although the first time I did it, I didn't get the recording or something happened or I didn't notice the attachment, one of those things. So I, uh, so, no, so that's right. I had the recording, but I didn't have the script. So what you need is both. You need that. You need it written out and you need it to hear it because sometimes you can't understand what he's saying because they're so drunk so exactly so it was quite funny to to just sit and repeat and be listening to Romesh over and over and over again in your head yeah but lip syncing but I mean I love lip syncing I'm a big drag fan and I love RuPaul's Drag Race and so I think lip syncing is one of the funniest things you can do actually good lip syncing is great mm. um, so so what a joy to be in a show where my love of drag can be combined with my love of dressing in a period outfit it, you I mean bless they, they have gold dust with you. you you do have this you do look like you come from another era you have this mm. 1930s splendour about you are you going to be appearing in, in future instalments of, of Drunken History or do, do you know yet or will there be another series I'll be honest I wasn't asked to do the next the next series so thanks for bringing that up oh, uh, um, so I don't know what happened there <laughs> But um, guys, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm really Call good at me. I'm really good at lip uh, no, no, but it's one of those things. Again, it's like a job, a job that you do rather than that you're in the gang. If that makes sense, oh, you know, it comes across yeah. in, in that way. Um, yeah. And, and in, in fact, be because you're quite a chameleon. It wasn't until I saw the credits that I put two and two together. Oh my god, that was Pippa! I have a really bizarre thing with my mm. face. Is that even if I put my hair up or my hair down, people will not recognise me. Mm. So when I used to do Loretta, I would do Loretta. And I would wipe my eye makeup off and put my hair in a ponytail and walk out with a guitar on my back mm. from the ste- from the stage door or the room, you know. And people would, I just walk past and then people would go, oh, were you just, were you just on set? Mm. You go, I've literally just removed some eye makeup and put my hair up, but, but people won't recognise it. Uh, and I, if I put a wig on, my face changes entirely, which is both a great thing for character acting, but also a, a bit of a nightmare because people just uh, don't notice my face. Like as in, as in people, <laughs> in terms of, <laughs> having that distinct face that people go, that's Pippa Evans. They're like, oh, that's one of many of so, Pippa Evans' faces. Wait, you were in that? I don't remember yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a, a benefit and a curse at the same time. Today's been so cold that I've decided to stay in in my nice warm house, giving a good scrubbing to all my dirty nooks and crannies. Pippa, next week you're going to be doing a 50-hour improv time. Yes. No sleep, 50 hours of improvised performances back-to-back. Will illicit substances be fueling you, or will it just be passion? Uh, yeah, just passion. Well, we try and encourage people not to even have sort of... Um uh, coffee or tea when you're not having. Although it is sponsored by Rich Energy, a new energy drink. Uh, so we'll probably be mainlining that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like about endurance. Um, so uh, the idea behind it is so we used to work with Ken Campbell a lot, who was this massive theatre practitioner of joy. Um, and he was completely nuts in a brilliant way. And uh, he had heard about this thing in Canada called the Improvathon, where they would improvise for 52 hours. And, um, and, uh, and the point being that uh, after... 
30 hours your lizard brain would appear so that's the lizard what, brain the lizard brain so it would reveal it would reveal just your basic brain and you would stop perf- performing stop trying and you just be you just react respond and so it would be like the purest form of improvisation Right. Have you done one of these before? Have you experienced I've done the several. lizard brain? Well, interesting. So I, so some people like have hallucinations and do all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, I just get a bit tired and grumpy. Um, but uh, but you do get these sort of moments where you're just uh, delusional in a and you're in a scene where you know that you're playing a character, but you kind of believe that you're that character by that point. So I did one. We did one set in a, uh, ancient um, Greece, and everyone had to be. There was like you know gladiators and and things and and i was like well all the gladiators were men so i played jet from gladiator and uh and uh, and i started to believe i was jet from gladiator and i was on the tube about two days after the improvathon and i was just standing and i just noticed that i was standing like looking at everyone with a face of come on guys why does no one recognize me and i realized i was annoyed that they didn't recognize me as jet from gladiator i thought it was so weird uh so yeah so it's it's really great because it's just and it's an experiment it's like what you come and watch and people come and watch and you come and buy tickets in two hour slots so a lot of people come to the beginning the middle and the end Mm. um and uh, you'll often end up staying for two or three more slots because you just want to see where the story ends up so it is a narrative so it's got a story arc there's someone directing it so adam megiddo will direct it and he will call the scenes so you'll be say um so you have you have preset characters but that doesn't mean you've written yourself any dialogue you just know i'm going to be jet from gladiator whatever um so this one's called uh king of thrones so it's based on lord of the rings and game of thrones um but a fictional world within that uh and so we'll have two clans and there'll be wizards and all sorts going on and the story will evolve through that but it might be that you have someone playing um, Mandolf and someone else playing. Um, so we, instead of Jon Snow, we've got Jack Frost. Um, and nice. so maybe maybe Man- Mandolf and Jack Frost meet in a tavern, and that will be what will be called. And then the scene will happen. And but from that scene, information will be taken. So if in that scene the wizard says um, you need to get to the Golden Tower before midnight, otherwise this will happen, that becomes a plot point, um, and then that gets carried through. Oh my goodness! And these two-hour slots. I mean, are these going to be available? One in the morning? Yep, all the way through. Three in the morning? Yep. Yep. Brilliant. It's down the road, so I can just pop in whenever I feel like it. Hello, it's your semi-friendly factoid checker here. Pippa Evans will be performing the 50-hour improvised production Lord of Thrones at Wilton's Music Hall from the 20th of January until the 22nd. 50 hours. Kite them. Back in a music hall, which is where I got married. You were married at uh, at the music hall. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. So it goes back, and my parents put on an old time music hall as the entertainment. That is fantastic. <laughs> oh my word. Oh, it was congratulations. So great. I can't think of a, of a more ideal place for your good self. And uh, oh, brilliant. Oh, well. So you'll be you'll be like you're returning home. Hmm. Yeah, it will be. I really, I love it there. So it's just like, yeah, again, feels like home, like Hackney Empire and any, anywhere where someone sung My Old Man. My old man said, follow the van and don't dilly dally on the way. Off went the van with me old packed in it. And I walked behind with me old couple in it. But I dillied, I dallied and dallied and dillied. I lost the van and don't the know The Sunday where. Assembly 
did that legitimately come about just by you and is it Sanderson Jones yeah. just being en route to a gig in, in the West Country somewhere yeah. and just comparing the notes in terms of what you wanted to do and the next thing you know you've created this World living domination. and breathing thing yeah yeah so we were going to a gig in um Bath Comedia actually and uh, and I was uh, and I was driving and he used to live down the road from me so I said well I'll give you a lift that's fine so we were driving and then we just started talking about it and we had both had this idea um based on the idea that church is great and the and in terms of church is great as a thing that people go to and meet each other and have a community mm. and the decline in Christianity has actually I think led to a lot of social breakdowns I blame two things for social breakdown one is the decline in church attendance and the second one is moving the bus door so that you don't have to say thank you to the bus driver anymore uh, so and and for me that's like a massive thing that we certainly in we, that London, we know, in London yeah that. and so it's funny when you mm. go up up north or something we, we were in, where were we? we were in um, Lincoln and there was only one door on the bus and you got on the bus and, and so then you get off and you just automatically say thank you to the yeah, driver. So it's like just, right. a, just appreciating that someone's done something for you that day mm. uh, and having that sort of interaction with someone who, again, you don't have to have a, a really close personal relationship with them, but just knowing that someone has done something to make your day better. Uh, but we're, we're sort of yeah, heading towards with everything being more efficient. Like it's a way, much more efficient way to get people off the bus is having the door in the middle, but it stops you appreciating the bus. Mm. That's a really, really good point. It's and, and also I mean, everyone's sort of anchored to their phone, so people don't integrate with each other that much anymore anyway. And then when they do, it's through social networks. And that's a big um, echo chamber where yeah. I don't like this. And then you have X number of friends saying, I don't like this either. And yeah, so the, the Sunday assembly was a way to kind of bring those traditional sadly um scarce values come back and it, it started at a venue that i haven't heard of it is, is it in islington was it the, yeah. the nave is it the nave yeah so it's mm. like it's an old church that's mm. now a school and uh and uh, we used their hall for the first one and uh yeah like 200 people 200 people turned up and we didn't know them and what that was what was amazing about it was it was we were expecting hardly anyone the facebook group said 10 people are coming or something we put out 50 chairs because we thought well that's like ambitious but cool you know 50 people that's still good right mm. um yeah and then all these people turned up from all sorts of different places because the we did a press release and and people just went what the hell is this and also i think because it was the first one in january there's nothing to talk about you know that week before christmas mm. there's nothing to talk about and i was actually in russia visiting a friend uh, during that week and so it was just getting sort of updates from sanderson being like ah this, this is happening and this is happening uh yeah so it was quite kind of nuts uh and then and, it, and, you know, and also because we're both comedians, so it's quite it's quite um, difficult. It's funny when I talk about it in comedy interviews. So I've done a few sort of interviews on the radio and they'll be, they'll be like, blah, blah, blah. And you're doing your show at the whatever theatre and let's promote that. Oh, and also what's this Sunday Assembly thing? And there's such a sort of right hand turn, kind of break, you know, hand break turn going, uh, oh, well, actually, that's, it's actually got a genuine meaning behind it. Like it's not a comedy thing. So people first thought, thought it was like a joke that we were doing it. Mm. But actually it was, no, I think there is a thing here. There is something that's needed. And this is essentially the experiment to see what happens when you make it. Uh, and I think, I think it is definitely need, needed. But um, how you organise it, because, you know, churches and mosques and synagogues, they have the text, they have the rules. Whereas if you're saying to a group of people like what runs this community? Who's in charge of the community? Who's allowed to say when someone's, I don't know, misbehave? What's misbehaving in our community? What mm. is, what does it, you know, if someone's um, treating themselves badly or, you know, drinking too much or something, is that, 
are we a community that says hey man just do whatever you want you know or are you saying gonna you is someone in our community gonna intervene and say i think you're like living your life badly that's a that's a crazy question because how can you do that absolutely but a lot of the point of it is to just have a space the, the, the main point of it is to have a space that people can come to and recharge and rethink and reflect because that's the thing I think miss, is missing is going to a space with other people, hearing someone talk about, here's an idea of how you could live your life. We're not telling you that this is it, but it might resonate in some way. And then we all sit in silence for five minutes and just reflect on it. And how often do you sit with uh, 400 people in silence, you know, without someone playing music on their phone or anything? Indeed, it's... it's uh anachronistic but in the best possible way and kind of return to oh, this sounds like a, an, an american campaign speech but community values mm. um which it's so easy to forget that uh you know just churches are turning into flats um or being closed and uh and uh, along with community centers so i mean particularly in london being able to reignite that can only be a, a good thing yeah and wouldn't it be great if churches didn't get turned into flats but got turned into community spaces yeah, yeah. which yeah. could be either multi-use so multi-faith mm. uh, including secular gatherings which is i think a really important thing because mm. because i think actually when you meet with people that agree with you so we have a motto which is live better help often wonder more so about um so look after yourself look after other people and think about the world around you um and that and that to me is like a really great way to live your life and something that you can find people who agree with that so if you're going to agree with those values then you're with people who you know fundamentally agree with how they want to live their life fundamentally mm -hmm. like they may we might have different ideas of what that means but we know that in this room, we're all here because we want to live better, help often and wonder more. Uh, and that just makes for a really nice basis for a, a community. It's become a living and breathing thing that is now growing independently of, of yourself. Mm. How regularly do you do you take part? So I still do stuff with London, but the, the with the but they know that I my, my the way my work work works mm. is that I'm away a lot of the time. So I just say when I'm around, I'm really happy to be there. Whether that's to host it or to sing at the front, you know, lead the singing or to just help. Um, then I'll be there. But um, that, but I make, but for me, the big thing is that it has to be able to work without me and Sanderson because then that, that's a, that will prove that it as a model works rather than, mm. rather than it being an sort of an ego show for us. So it's not about people coming to see me or him. It's about people wanting to be a part of this community mm. uh, and wanting to make it work. I think it's absolutely brilliant that the Sunday assemblies have become bigger than the two of you who created it. Another string to your bow are improvisational workshops. How did you go from being student to teacher? And uh, when did you start doing these? That's, uh, I can't think of a better person to be running these workshops. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Um, well, so, so a lot of that came out of um, Sunday Assembly, actually, was um, we had a, com uh, a conference in Atlanta, mm. Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, they said, oh, would you run an improv workshop for that? And I went, uh, okay, like a team building thing. So I thought, okay, yeah, I could do that. So I thought I'll just do that. And uh, and I went, oh, this is interesting actually, because oh, there's lots of people that teach improv as a work skill or, um, and, uh, and I was sort of thinking about all the things that I've learned about how to interact with humans is through improvisation. So things that you maybe wouldn't necessarily realize that you're doing so making eye contact with people is bizarrely one of the main things i teach mm. uh, and that might sound 
quite basic, but actually to have the courage to look someone in the eyes while you're telling them something good or bad or or whatever is quite it's quite intimidating you know they say i I, your eyes are the uh, window to your soul Uh, and how terrifying is that because (laughs) when you look at someone then they can read everything they know who you are it's so much easier to not look them so in fact i did a workshop recently and the lady um just never looked anyone in the eye and her eyes would flit around the room like really flitting up and down and it was quite disconcerting to have a conversation with her so we sort of talked about that and and sort of went i i I noticed that you you don't look people in the eye very much. And, and we figured out that's because she did so much work on a computer. She did a lot of conferences, but on a computer, so um, around the world, so that she's never has to look people in the eye in a work environment. Oh, goodness. But it means that she's now, you know, if you spend nine to five not looking anyone in the eye because you don't have to, because it's not a part of the day, that when you then spend the last three hours of the day socialising, you don't think of that as a way to communicate because mm. all your communication is through your ears and your mouth, uh, which is kind of fascinating, actually, isn't it? Um, yeah, so f- and then figuring out things like that and then going, oh, okay, right, so that's an interesting thing. Well, let's go and look at that. What's the science behind that? What's the, why do we need to look people in the eye? And uh, how can we help people look p- each other in the eye without it being horribly overwhelming? Yeah, so in fact, after this, I'm going to teach a workshop for two hours about creativity, like try how to work as a team because... So much of improvisation is about building on each other's ideas. And the basic mm. idea is this yes and idea, this idea that you you say yes to the idea and then you add and. Um, and, the, and, and that idea that sometimes when we're being creative, we say no too quickly. So no, there's, there is absolutely room for no in creativity as well. But so often we say it first. So some will go, oh, we're gonna, we've got to invent a new cushion. Um, yeah, but well, mm, well, this cushion's fine. You know, or well, that's going to be too expensive. Or uh, I don't. I don't uh, uh, why do we? Why are we doing cushions now? Why are we doing? Why can't we do um, uh, the whole sofa now? It makes more sense to do so. You know, so we've stopped the idea already because we're, we're arguing about whether it's good or not. Rather than going creating this like whole world of whatever this cushion could be, and then and then going back to it and saying, well, actually, that's a bit that's a bit unrealistic. But that bit there about the uh, the material that we use, we, we can work on that bit. You know. And do you know what size of a group you're going to be doing this uh, workshop with? Or this afternoon, this 11, afternoon. 11 people. Oh, 11 people, oh, that's a good size, oh, yeah, that's I, a very good size for, hmm. for that. I don't like doing workshops bigger than 14 people really, because I, I don't think you get any value out of it. And I, I get really annoyed when I go to workshops and there's more than 14 people and I haven't been told, so I'm fine if I know that. But after 14 people, you're not going to get any, any one-to-one or any actual feedback yourself. And... With regards to your Edinburgh show making its debut at Soho Theatre in March, have you made any tweaks and changes to to it? Will it be longer? Are you still going to uh, keep it around the one hour mark? Oh yeah, it'll be one hour, but like, might, there might be a like an extra song at the end or something. I might, I, I'm going to rewrite the ending a little bit because I was never happy with the ending in Edinburgh. Um, but apart from that, it will, you would recognise it, yes, right. 100%. But there's definitely things, you know, things that changed over the course of the month that I need to go back and remember. Because it's funny, I recorded the first one, but I didn't record the last one. And I should have recorded the last one of the run because it right. would have been very different. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, but I, I mean, I've written down all the changes, but it would be good to have a visual uh, reminder of what it was like. And uh, any other 
television-related uh, things in the offing uh, which you are able to comment on in Nothing any way? Nothing that I'm able to talk about. Right. But there are, but there are things in the in there which uh, which are exciting. And also in terms of a radio, uh, I mean, yeah, just still doing all the bits that I do on Radio Four and some extra shows and stuff. And then you know, one day hopefully they'll go, "Hey, Pips, you but should have your own you show." You should have your own show. Yeah, and then everyone will be happy and the world will be a better place. Um, in a way, you've had a, a life around the Beeb. Yeah, I really love the BBC. And, I, and the other thing is I love radio. And I think that's really important when you're working in radio is that you appreciate it and you think, ah, oh, the reason I love radio is that it's just there. Like, you can do anything on radio. You know, you go, we're now on a boat. Mm. It's, we're on a boat. You know, there's nothing. Telly is just a nightmare because you have to do all of this visual stuff. Whereas actually, if you give the audience the space to use their imagination, it's so much The far nicer. superior set designers than yeah. anything that yeah, you exactly. could produce. And, and that really is a thing of a beauty. Radio is a fantastic thing, and I'm, I'm glad it's still alive and well. And it's a strange thing in terms of this, uh, the world that we live in 2017. People don't really chat with each other as much as they used to but in the in the podcast world um total strangers are able to listen to total strangers talk about all sorts of things for an hour and a half and it's as though the kind of attention span has both been narrowed and expanded and i think radio is still going strong particularly uh bbc radio 4 as a result of that and you do deserve your own show so they need to sort that out. Yes, and they will. They will. But I do I do think, yeah, our attention span has dropped. Uh, but also, I think that's why my Improv Your Life courses get signed up so quickly. is because people go, I don't know how to talk to people anymore. Mm. I'm frightened of speaking in front of people. I'm, I'm A lot of the things, so I always ask at the beginning, what, what is it you want to get out of this course? Because I can tailor it. And most of the time it is confidence and uh, being able to have conversations at parties or networking things because they can't have conversations with people. It's modern world problems and a modern world solution. Mm. It makes perfect sense. But also it's so so weird that we've got to a point where uh, technology is now actually stopping us being able to interact as humans. It's true. It went, it's supposed to be making it better, but it's actually making it worse. I mentioned the echo chamber fact earlier on that, you know, we, you know, be it through Twitter or through facebook wherever that you know for the most part people are are conversing and preaching to the the converted you know people who are like-minded so the echo chamber and i had a a a moment shortly after trump was elected and uh, where somebody who i didn't realize was extremely right wing and has very dodgy values was spouting um their opinions and i disagreed with everything and I initially went to, you know, to unfriend. My goodness, such a modern way to, mm. to say, I am not happy with you. And I thought, no, no, I need to keep this person as a friend, not necessarily a close friend, just so I can get a different view. And if I get a different view. It's not going to convince me that, uh, you know, his particular take on on all things right wing is, is something that I should subscribe to. But at least it, it, he's passionate about it. And it's nice to hear something different instead mm, of... The same stuff. Yeah. Well, I, for the Now Show, during the election, I the Brexit, sorry, no, the Brexit vote, um, I liked all of the different groups so I could hear what they were all saying. And I had a couple of people send me messages going, I was about to unfriend you because I saw that you liked mm, the BMP. But, that as well. uh, but, um, 
but actually and then I realized it must be something to do with the now show and I thought that's awful that you so your my friendship to you is so unvaluable that you will get rid of me because you don't agree with one thing if if that was a truth uh, if the truth was I supported the BMP mm. like my, one of my dad's best friends supports the BMP and for me he is my ultimate conundrum because I really like him and uh, and he's really nice but he supports the BMP and so is that the, also this rhetoric that we've decided is that um you know uh, even like when you say that your friend has dodgy values it's mm. like well he doesn't think he has dodgy oh, values certainly not. No, no, yeah, no, absolutely. No, but, but even that that way that we talk about mm. people's values is so disrespectful that we always we but we all i mean i do it too that you mm. know those people that voted for trump they're all idiots no they're not lots of them have really valid reasons why absolutely. they voted and for us it's so hard to understand why people hated hillary so much but actually if you go and speak to an american uh about it then you start going oh there's obviously something else going on here that we just can't understand because we're not from there mm. and the same way i was in cyprus and i didn't realize we were saying staying in nicosia which is the last step um divided city so you can literally you have to go through uh go through no man's land to get to the turkish cypriot side and um and just talking i spoke to someone there about it and um, because someone had told me there was a town in uh, the uh, turkish side which had not been changed since 1974 which i think is when the split happened oh. so it's like just surrounded by barbed wire and they basically took it as a as a way um a sort of they just took it and left it and so it's just not, not nothing happens there uh and everyone was like thrown out of their houses um and so i said and i was talking to a separate person i was like oh yeah and i had this town that it just doesn't has never changed since 1974 and she went yeah that that was my town that's where i came from okay, and so right. my uh, my vision of it from uh outsider's point of view was oh this is cool time capsule town we're like nothing's changed she's like that's my home and mm. i'm a refugee and then the guy who was with her was very like oh those those turkish people and he was very passionate about how they destroyed cyprus but i never got the chance to talk to a turkish Cypriot person to hear what their side of the story was so that i could hear that version and then sort of be able to make up my own mind so 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 often we're just listening to that one opinion or that one story and going oh that that will do it rather than hearing 16 different opinions and then going right which one do i identify with or which bits of each person's thing can i can i identify with or do i have to have an opinion about everything do i have to take a Indeed, side no not at all yeah. to choose not to decide you have made a, a choice and in a way i think possibly with any conundrum particularly when it involves politics and borders and division yeah. is there a, a right and wrong way it's i mean no, ultimately well, really, you look at immigration how can you have an opinion about immigration really in terms of a you know it's always a, a right or wrong thing like they should come here or they shouldn't mm. come in you go it's just not as simple as that you can't no. just say right we're gonna have um we're gonna, there was that idea of like you have to have earned, earn this amount of money you go most people that we need to come here do the jobs that will never earn them that much money so Indeed. and yeah. you know and so again it's like we're looking we want the government the government whoever the government is to always uh, tell us like okay this is the simple answer there's no simple answer no no there's no simple answer to anything <laughs> the honest answer is I don't know yes and that's why we have to remember that we're all just the same <laughs> the power of saying I don't know Pippa although some of us do have boobies some of us do have boobies and we're trying to work in work that out yeah. Pippa, it has been an absolute slice of heaven having you here on the Dukey Radio Show. Thanks so much for popping in. Thanks for having me. Well, that's your lot. To find out more about Pippa Evans, click your way to her website, www.pippaevans.com. You can also read her mind through her amusing musings via Twitter. Follow her on at I am Pippa Evans and 
If you're going to be in London in March, I urge you to book tickets to see a show, same, same, but different, at Soho Theatre, 9th, 10th and 11th of March. Book your tickets via www.sohotheatre.com. And if your patience is not robust and you'd like to enjoy a lot of Pippa, she's appearing in Lord of Thrones at Wilton's Musical from the 20th to the 22nd of January. That's next week if you've just downloaded this. This is part of a 50-hour Improvathon. Tickets are available in two-hour parts from wiltons.org.uk. You've been listening to an interview with Pippa Evans. My name is Dukey and I've been your host. Until next time, may the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. www.facebook.com forward slash the Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. <laughs> Molly the Sprolly, the Dukey Radio Show dog, is equally as excited about this. <laughs> oh, and I think she's farted. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is not me. Um, <laughs> or maybe it is. It's me. It's you. <laughs> oh, it's me. I'm but so sorry. Walked.